0: 16, um, 1 through 8, and 13 through 31. Um, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came up to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had depart, departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people, people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever had much of nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stink. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two embers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey.
1: Some of you guys are getting ready to graduate, and there's this weird moment the day after your graduation where, you know, you you think about it and you're like, there's so much work that went into this moment. You know, like, you started in kindergarten, you've literally been in school for 17 years at least, and then um, you get out, you graduate, you have a good time, you go to sleep, and then you wake up, and then you realize, like, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing now. Like, I'm supposed to be a grown-up now. Like, all the hard work was supposed to have happened already, and now it's just me. And I'm exactly the same person that I was, I feel like, when I was a freshman. Um, this will happen to some of you guys when you get married. And you wake up the next morning. And I, I had this feeling when I woke up the next morning after, after my wedding. And it was like, you know, dating is terrible. And, like, the literal <laughs> worst. And um, usually, at least it was for me, uh, made some real, real bad calls. Um, and... Uh, it's funny, I just never, like, really changed course. I just, like, fell into my wife, and she was really kind to me. Anyway, um, but, like, dating sucks, and then you you get engaged, and that's hard, and you had to, like, get a ring, and then you planned a wedding, and it's so intense, and you're like, finally. And then you wake up in the morning, and my feeling wasn't like, I can't I can't believe I had to be with her, because that, that was great. My feeling was like, I'm still me. Like, I'm not somehow now supernaturally, like, Endowed to keep these impossible sounding vows that I just took yesterday to like love another person more than me. I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, There are these big moments where we work up to it and there's this big release, there's this big moment, and then we realize, wow, there's actually still a lot left to be done. And in the book of Exodus, you know, it leads up to this dramatic um, rescue of God bringing his people out out of Egypt. And then basically the rest of the book is God's people out of slavery, living in freedom, trying to figure out, well, what do I do now? Like, what is life supposed to look like for me now? What does it look like for us to be God's people? And um, that's a really hard question. And tonight, this passage comes only two months after Israel has been redeemed from Egypt two months after the Red Sea where God had brought them through the Red Sea and if you're here tonight, whether you're a Christian or not, and we make no assumption that any of you guys know where you are spiritually, we're just glad that you're here and we're all figuring um, the Bible and Jesus out together but whether you're a Christian or not, probably one of your frustrations with Christians is that they keep on sinning after they become Christians. (laughs) Um, Like Like, you don't figure yourself out. You're still you. And the question for us is, if you've been rescued in Jesus, how do you live then? Like, how do you live as someone that follows Jesus? And that's basically what we're going to look at basically for the rest of the semester. But tonight I want to start out with this passage because I think it shows us something very wonderful about what it means to be God's people. And the first thing I want to look at is that there's the, the reality that you have a new status if you know Jesus, but you're still the same person or to put it another way, you can take the people out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the people. Um, so the rescue is done. Like I said, this has been t- only two months after they crossed the Red Sea. If you haven't been here. Um, and been walking through Exodus with us. Israel, God's people, were slaves in Egypt. They were treated poorly. They were victims of genocide. God comes and does all this amazing stuff. He, pl- he sends plagues on Egypt. He brings his people out. And the final thing he does is he splits the Red Sea, this huge body of water. His people go through unscathed. And then when the Egyptian army chases them, God brings the water back down and annihilates them. And it's only been two months since I have, it's, I mean, if you think about it, it's only been two months since the semester started. Okay, it's not that long. It's been almost six months since "Hello" by Adele came out, <laughs> and that just feels like yesterday. Um, but it's been—it's only been two months, okay. Um, and, and this is this is their moment. So God has done this amazing rescue. It's in the past, and in the very um, immediate past. Um, but the point here being, when God God's rescue of us. So if you're here tonight and you're a believer. What God has done for you in Jesus is always in the past tense. It's never something that, that Jesus does now. The gospel is all about, when you think about the good news of Christianity, when we talk about we're always talking about something that happened a long, long time ago. 2,000 years ago is when Jesus rescued his people from sin. It happened in time and space. When Jesus lived perfectly and died perfectly on the cross and was raised And rescued you, if you're a Christian, from sin. That happened 2,000 years ago. It's objectively in the past, is the point. And you can't change that rescue any more than the Israelites could change their rescue that already happened. You can't change that um, salvation any more than you could change who your great-grandparents were. The work of Jesus is, it has happened in the past. And for... Israel—they've been brought out. They have a new status. They're no longer slaves. They're free people. Um, but as you know, Israel may have changed their Facebook status, um, but the relationship is never really over. Um, Tim Keller, who was who was preaching um, in Exodus, made this point. He said the Israelites are objectively free. Okay, it's objectively happened, um, but it still has to be worked in. They're still subjectively slaves. Um, They're still living as slaves. Um, Martin Lloyd Jones, who was a a British pastor, um, he, he talked about what it would have been like to be black in America before the Emancipation Proclamation and after the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay, so like before that, you were a slave objectively. So if you were out walking in town, a white man could hurt you, take your life, he could buy and sell you, he could break up your family. Um, he could really do whatever he wants to you. Now, after the Emancipation Proclamation, let's say you're that same person, and you encounter that same white man in the street, and he threatens you. Like, objectively, like, you have rights. You're no longer a slave. You're a free person, right? But when that man intimidates you, do you suddenly feel free and full of rights to stand up to that? No, subjectively, you're still living in slavery. You're objectively free, but you're not subjectively Free In Jesus, you are not in sin. But sin is still very much in you. And for God's people in the wilderness, when it got hard, their subjective slavery came out in a couple of ways. So look look with me in the passage at the very beginning there. It's in, in, in verse 2. Two months after they come out, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They grumbled against God. Now, when you hear that, I don't want you to hear that like, they were frustrated, or they cried out, or they had complaints. Um, uh, because those are good and godly things. Like, it's good to cry out and say, oh, Lord, how long? Uh, or, Lord, I'm hungry, or I have needs. God, That's very godly. God honors that. But they're more like um, Joe Pesci, you know, from Home Alone. Like, you know, when like, his head gets all burned up, and he's like, <laughs> uh, That was not a great Joe Pesci impersonation, and I just want to apologize for that um, Joe Pesci impersonation. They're anger. They're angry. They're anger. Uh, They're bitter. They're they're lashing out towards God. They're gnashing their teeth toward him. They're grumbling, but they're also longing for Egypt. They said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Like, oh, man, I wish I was still like my babies were being taken and thrown into a river. That was fantastic. I love that. That was the best. Um, They're longing to be slaves again. And um, part of my own coming to Jesus actually was when someone was preaching and they made this point. They said, the thing about sin is that even when Jesus brings you out of it, you still miss it. Like you still want it again. Like it's like an old lover that abused you. But you sit longingly thinking, I wish I could still be with that person. Um, One of my favorite things to do is to watch movies that are like been out for like eight years because then I can talk about them and no one can get mad that you ruined the ending. Because um, if you haven't seen The Hurt Locker yet, I'm sorry. It's been on Netflix for like five years. So, um, But in, in The Hurt Locker, if you've seen it, the, the main character, his job is to dismantle bombs in Iraq and Afghanistan. right? And he wears this intense suit. And uh, it's pretty much like the most dangerous job that you could imagine. And there's this real poignant scene where he goes back home after his tour of duty and he's with his wife or his girlfriend and their little baby. And um, he's there, but he's distracted because he's longing to return to dismantling bombs in Iraq. And eventually he does. He goes back. He chooses to go back to the thing that's eventually going to kill him. And that's who we are. That's, that's what we are. We have to be honest about that reality. Um, but they also attacked God's goodness. They said, look, you brought us out here to kill us. Um, you, don't, you don't intend good for us. You want to kill us. That's why you saved us. You did this whole big work just so you could, save, so you could kill us. And the reality for the Israelites is the same as the reality for us. <clears throat> they didn't need to just be rescued from Egypt. They need to be rescued from themselves. Because once they were brought out, once the marriage happened, once the graduation day happened, they still were the same people. We need to be rescued from ourselves. And we need to know what it looks like to work this new freedom in. If Jesus has said, you're no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, what does it mean for that to work into our reality? Um, how do you live that way? Um, well, God helps. Um, God, the second thing I want to look at is God's response. Um, it's, it's really amazing because they're complaining to God. He had just literally done the, the impossible, the amazing. He brings them out. It's not even two months later, and they're gnashing their teeth at him, and they're complaining to him. They're saying, you only want to kill us. And they've totally forgotten what God did for them. Um, that they were hopeless and helpless and insignificant in every way. And yet God adored them and brought them out of slavery. Um, this actually comes between a time where they don't have water and they're pissed off and they complain and God provides water. And then they don't have anything to eat and they're pissed off and God provides something to eat. And then later again, they don't have water again and they're pissed off. And each time God... Provides. He responds to their callous hearts with kindness. He gives them bread. Um, but the thing that we realize about the manna, actually the word manna means what is it? Um, they literally, it's like there's something on the ground and you want me to eat that. Um, they didn't know what it was. It's bread, but it's daily bread. And, and if you walk out of here tonight and, and you don't take anything else away, one expectation that I want you to take away is that if you're going to be one of God's children, um, that's a long, messy process. When you, when you come out of Egypt, when you come out of sin, you don't arrive. You begin a long day-by-day process um, of dying more and more to your sin and living more and more to righteousness and freedom. Um, it's the process of coming, becoming like Jesus. Jesus. And God does not intend for that to happen overnight. And I say that because I know a lot of you guys that are here tonight and you're Christians or you're struggling with the Christian thing. And you think the expectation is that it's going to have happened like that. And I want you to know that the the process of becoming like Jesus is long and messy. And the wilderness, uh, the people of, of Israel in the wilderness is probably the greatest picture in the Bible of what it looks like to live as a Christian person. That you walk day by day with God. Um, And the way that God works that new freedom of being free people, of being sons and daughters and no longer slaves, is that he constantly provides his grace day after day. He demonstrates to you, this is is the beautiful thing, because you're like, why can't I just get it now? And what God wants to do is he wants to prove to your heart day in and day out that he is sufficient for you. That he will care for you, and he's a good father. Because you can't just tell someone how to live, right? You have to show them. I have a three-year-old. Her name is Bonnie, and she yells a lot. Um, that's like her endearing. Like, like The number one feature when I think of her is that she, yell, she yells a lot. And um, that has nothing to do with any of us. But... Um, Anyway, by the way, never yell at your child for yelling. This is counterproductive, and I'm still working at it. Um, I'm hoping that eventually I will out-yell her. Anyway, um, but, uh, so she's three, but we have another baby who's one, and so now Bonnie's like a big sister, but she's three. And um, she's a great big sister, and so one of the great things about Bonnie is that she's a great snuggler. Um, and when you have kids and you'll, like, those are the things you'll look for in your child, come snuggle with me. Let's snuggle. And uh, she's a great snuggler. Our first kid hated snuggling. And um, I told Bonnie recently, I said, Bonnie, will you teach Rosemary, our baby, how to be a great snuggler like you? And she said, sure. And she, she went over to the baby and she said, Rosie, be a great snuggler. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it worked. Um, she is a great settler. Um, you can't just tell somebody how to live. You have to demonstrate to them. And God is demonstrating that he's a good father for us. Um, and he does that in a couple ways, really quick. He gives us our daily bread. It's something Jesus told us to pray for. Pray, pray that God will give you daily bread. He shows up every morning with this bread for his people um, he's the giver of good gifts. Here's the thing. God shows up every single day. If you think about uh, we all have different stories, but um, the wonderful things that God has given you even just today, gifts, friends, literal sustenance, food, and drink, he's cared for you every day because he's a good father. Um, but he also gives us a foretaste of heaven. The thing about the manna, if you look in the, la- the very last verse... It says, the house of Israel called its name Manna, which means what is it? It was like coriander seed, which we all know what that is. um, White, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Because the place that God's going to bring them to through this wilderness is called Canaan. It's the promised land. It's a picture of heaven for us. And when God talks about Canaan, he says it's, it's a good land flowing with milk and with honey. And God's saying day by day, I'm going to take you and I want to give you a little taste now. Of what it's going to be like then. So if you think about the gifts that God has given you, even just today, he wants them to, to in a sense, whet your appetite for heaven. Um, to know that his promise is good every day. But the thing that God really gives us to sustain us is he gives us Jesus. And Jesus is the, is the bread of life. There was this one time uh, that Jesus fed 5,000 people. This is sort of a big deal. And um, because he only had three loaves of bread and two fish. And it was pretty awesome. So you guys learned about this in community groups if you were in it the other day. And Jesus is talking to these people. That he's just given these 5,000 people food. And he says, don't labor for the bread that perishes, but for the food that leads to eternal life. And the people are like, well, I don't know. You need to show us a sign. And It's like, well, I did just make food for 5,000 men plus women and children. But okay, fine. They're like, well, uh, Moses gave our fathers manna in the wilderness. Maybe something like that. And just listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. What Jesus is telling us there is, I am enough for you each day. Um, There are things that you guys are coming in your future and you're like, there's no way I could possibly handle that. There's no way I could respond well to that. And what God is saying is, Jesus is going to be enough for you each day. God enables us to be faithful by being faithful to us. He demonstrates that. To us. And I, I just wanted to say two things really quick. That might be particularly, particularly challenging for you if your parents, your mom, or your dad were absent or indifferent or neglectful or abusive. Um, if you couldn't count on your parents to consistently show up, or you couldn't count on your parents to consistently, like, literally put food on the table and you're like, I hear these sad stories and they remind me of my childhood in so many ways, of like, yeah, I would just make myself something to eat and watch TV and then go to bed. Um, If that was you, learning to trust God day by day as a father that gives you good gifts is going to feel very awkward. And I want you to know that's okay. It's going to feel like a muscle that you never have used before and it gets sore really quick. And I I just want you to know that your father won't leave you. Um, He will provide for you every day. God is teaching that to me um, because I think he's going to be like my dad. Um, And I want to say also, too, if you're here tonight and you're struggling with your sexuality and you're trying to figure out your sexual identity, um, it it might not be the case for you. uh, But for a lot of friends I've talked to that are struggling with their sexual identity, especially in a Christian context, you just want it to be fixed. Like you just want it to to go with it. like, I just want to get on one train or get on the other and just go with it. And this idea of like living with this reality for the rest of my life and living in the confusion of it sounds like too much to bear. And I just want to tell you that as you follow Jesus in the wilderness, like the way is fraught with danger and pain. Um, but he will sustain you. Jesus is very sweet to us. He doesn't break us when we're about to break. And he doesn't put us out when we're smoldering and just about to go out. He won't leave you. He's kind to you. So God responds to our callous continuing in sin by giving us fresh grace each morning. And I just wanted to note two ways together before we close this thing down. um, That the Israelites show us how not to live as God's people. Um, so that that we can sort of have an idea, how do we get at this? The first thing they they did was God said, look, I'm going to give you enough bread every day, but here's what you can't do. I don't want you to try and hoard enough so that you have enough for tomorrow. I will give you enough tomorrow. If you hold on to it for tomorrow, um, it, it's not going to work. It's going to go bad. It's going to spoil. Uh, I read this news story about this Australian kid. The first time he saw a vending machine, this was just like a couple days ago. It was like he's four. He'd never seen a vending machine. He lived like way out in the sticks, and he immediately got stuck in the vending machine, and um, it struck a chord because that was me in the Piggly Wiggly as a four-year-old with my arms stuck in the egg machine, like the machine that gets a little eggs out. Um, because he didn't really know how to do it. He didn't know how to make it provide for him. And so um, we, we hoard. And the reason why this is hard for us, and the reason why we want to hoard God's gifts is because we're trained to believe that if you have to wait for it, that you, have, that you should be uncertain about the relationship. This is especially with texting. If you text somebody, especially if they have red receipts on, and this is why I have red receipts on, um, and they don't immediately text you back, you're like, what is literally happening? Um, <laughs> Aziz Ansari has a new book called Modern Romance. It's really good. But um, I, I printed out this section. Um, this, this is Aziz Ansari texting with his very committed girlfriend. She texts him and says, are you coming back to the hotel before going to the comedy club? Sentence 634. He said, don't think so. Got to get ready for the show. Having a quick glass of wine with Zach. Want to meet us? Sentence 636. 20-minute gap. Okay? Like, they were just, nah. 20 minutes later. He said, in the gap after want to meet us, I was sure she was mad about something. Her responses had been pretty immediate, and it seemed like her pause was an indicator that something was wrong and I should have been going to the hotel or something. And then she says, see you at the comedy club. And he texts her back, is that a grump text or not? (laughs) 17 minutes later, she texts him back, not a grump text at all. I'm just resting at the hotel. been walking around all day and don't feel like leaving. Okay, just checking. Smiley face emoji. Again, when she didn't respond after, is that a grump text or not? I was certain she was grumpy. Because why wait so long to tell me she's not grumps? <laughs> All of this change in my perception of her feelings in my own mood was purely because of the temporal differences in texting. Like, we think waiting till tomorrow means that I should be uncertain about whether this person really likes me or not. Um, and that's why we hoard things. We take God's gift and we hold them as close as we can to ourselves. And that can look like something as practical as running up a credit card because you've got to have it now. It can look like not eating so that you can save up your meal plan because you're paranoid that you're going to run out. Um, It could be hoarding your friendships. Like, I need you to give me your undivided attention all the time or else I will be alone and I can't face the fact of being alone. Um, Maybe you're the person that can't say no to an opportunity. Um, Because if I don't say yes to this, even though I'm committed to 17 other things today, this opportunity might not come along again and I'm going to miss out. Um, and what God is calling us to do, like, like eventually when you do that, when you hoard the friendships, when you hoard your boyfriend or girlfriend, you say, you can't talk to anyone else. You have to be here for me. I think there's some truth to it. Eventually it breeds worms and stinks. Doesn't it? Um, Jim Carrey at the Golden Globes, I love him. He said, I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And what gets me up in the morning is the idea of being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. (laughs) Then it will be enough. Um, We hoard because we're afraid. And God is saying, I will provide for you each day. The other way is that we refuse to rest. Um, The Israelites didn't rest. God said, look, I'll give you enough on... on," The the day was Friday then. I'll give you enough on the sixth day so that you don't have to do anything on the seventh day. And they don't do it. They, They don't keep enough. They go out on the seventh day to gather... And um, look, you guys have a significant resting problem. (laughs) As a 32-year-old dude with, like, kids, you do not rest. But here's the thing. Slaves don't rest. Because slaves, all that matters is how much you can get done, how much you can squeeze into the day. And God created you to rest. And resting, like, turning off your phone or getting everything done on Saturday or saying no to something so that you can rest is a very real-life way that you're saying God is enough. Jesus is enough for me in a real practical sense. Jesus is calling you to rest. Um, Listen listen to what God says in in Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God made people from dust, from dirt, literally. And he hasn't forgotten that. That. He hasn't forgotten that you aren't God. Um, so, so rest in him. I, I wanted to, to close. Just uh, The new Cinderella movie is all over my senses lately. Um, because we got it on DVD. Why do we get these things on DVD? Why don't we just rent them and send them back? Um, but the new Cinderella is beautiful. Um, well, like the new Cinderella is beautiful and the movie is beautiful. Um, but if you've seen it, right before she puts on the glass slipper, her stepmother is there. Cinderella's about to go from like ragged servant girl to like a completely new identity and reality as like the queen of, the, of this kingdom because the, the slipper's going to fit her foot. And her stepmother says something. She says, remember who you are, you wretch. Like right before she's going to embrace that new identity, she says, remember who you are. I'll always know who you are. I know what your real identity is. Um, that voice was in her ear. And that voice wants to remind you of who you used to be. That you were a slave, that you were a wretch, that you were a ragged servant girl. And that voice is lying. Because if you've trusted Jesus, if even if you tried to lean on Jesus, yes, you are a poor servant girl. Yes, you have no carriage. Yes, you have no dowry, but you are absolutely beloved by the King. And he's intent to take you into his home and to make you beautiful. Uh, Learning to live as God's people is a long, messy process. Remember who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have brought us near to you. I thank you for these friends who came here, who chose to come here on a Wednesday night when they could have been a lot of places. They could have been writing that paper. They could have been turning in that lab that's due at midnight. Yet they came here to hear a good word from you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help um, your word to be good to us, even as we think about it later, that we would know that you are with us in the wilderness, that you provide for us day by day, and that you will never leave us. Thank you for giving us a new identity. Would you begin to work that in into our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.